Welcome to the More Than More podcast, where we discuss building meaningful, impactful businesses, careers, and lives through real estate. What's that look for? Because you're so weird. Well, it's Monday morning, and I'm trying to lighten the mood. So, morning, Jen Clark. Good morning. Welcome Welcome to the More Than More podcast studio. Can we call it that? Sure. Yeah. Um, We're talking about shows, by the way. We were. But we didn't come up with anything I should watch, so. Jen's a huge Bridgerton fan. I did not say that. You didn't say that. Your wife, Jen, is. My wife, Jen, is a Bridgerton fan, which I am embarrassed to admit. But I tried like three episodes of it, and I completely gave up. I have no comment. I feel like in 2020, 21, 22, like one of the most common topics of conversation is like, what series are you watching right now? Yeah, for sure. And I, we are both between series and feeling, um, what's the word? Lost. Yeah. Do you remember Lost? I do. That was good. I remember Lost. I didn't ever watch the whole thing, though. It got very weird at the end. I got lost with watching Lost. <coughs> yes, for sure. Well, welcome, Jen. Thanks for joining us early in the week. Um, big plans this week? Uh, just lots of tennis. And has three tennis matches this week. Every time you say that, I picture you playing tennis for some reason. Did you play? No. Okay. I could s- see you playing tennis for some reason. I like badminton. <laughs> we just got a ping pong table at home. Oh. And nice. it has been quite a hit. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm not good at that either. Uh, ping pong ruined my tennis game. So I played tennis when I was younger. We had tennis courts across the road from my house when I was like 10. And I would play daily with my friend David. And we got pretty good. And then somewhere along the line, I stopped when I came here. We started playing ping pong at uh, like college. Oh, sure. And it completely ruined my tennis game because it's all wrist now. Right. Were you anticipating? So what you meant to say is you played beer pong, but you're going to say ping pong. No, no, no. It was ping oh, pong. Okay. I'm like, <laughs> lots of spin. Okay. Um, is this what you thought we would talk about today? Sure. <laughs> no. I had no idea. <clears throat> um, well... I am interested to see where our conversation does go. I think people think that these are more thought through than they are. But really, we just go where the wind blows. Um, Jen taught me this morning what NW stands for. <clears throat> She's wearing a bright blue NW. Apparently, there's a new school in Waukee. Is that right? Correct. Do you remember what it stands for? I'm guessing Northwest. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> so, Waukee is uh, doing what Ankeny's doing. It yeah. just doesn't want to stop, huh? That's right. And you guys are Waukee fans. You go to the, like you, I'm sorry, what's their mascot? Northwest, it's the Wolves. Okay, so I can't keep up. I'm still trying to figure out the difference between the North and the South school system in Ankeny that my kids attend. Got it. Well, yeah. Which one are you at? The new school, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's not new anymore. It is the North school, <laughs> the new one, yeah. Yeah, Ankeny's been crazy. The growth in Des Moines is crazy. I'm actually very interested. We've got our market... Uh, data podcast with actually Raj, Tammy, and um, Kyle tomorrow. And I'm somewhat fascinated by some of the data right now, just even about growth in our metro area, like how Des Moines is doing relative to other Midwest markets. Yeah, that'll be a good one to listen to. It seems like when I'm out driving around now, I'm seeing tons of building and not houses necessarily, but just 
buildings of stuff, like strip malls. I'm like, what's going in there? What's this going to be? Yeah. I mean, there's tons. Even in Ankeny. Like the stuff coming up across the road from our office here is a bunch of high-end condos. I don't know if you've seen what Caliber is doing out by the 36th. No, I don't think tons so. Tons of development right now. Um, I was going to say I don't know where the money's coming from. Then I realized I do know where the money's coming from. <laughs> Uh, but yes, a lot of growth going on in our city. So, um, Hey, real quick, just to tee this up, uh, for anyone that doesn't know about you and your business, give us the, like, I'm not talking about the history thing, but just real quick, you are the Urbandale broker. You are many things, right? Yes. You are the Urbandale broker. You uh, had a good year last year? I did. About 13 million. Is that right? 13, 14, somewhere in there. Okay. Um, and 20, you just corrected me. I thought it was actually more, but 23 years in the business, right? Yep. 23 years this year, more than I was just telling Dylan that that's half my life. I've been a realtor, which is crazy. I'm not going to do the math. <laughs> well, it's not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's true. Oh, that's true for me too. Yeah. Which is a pretty crazy thing. Yeah. Um, so interested in your story because yours is kind of, you've got some chapters, I think, in your real estate career and 23 years is a long time. So you've seen some things. Mm-hmm. Um, so why don't we, I guess, start there unless you've got something else you'd like to talk about. Anything else about sports or TV shows? <laughs> we good. I think we're good. <clears throat> I didn't watch much of the Masters yesterday, so I can't talk about that either. You are a big golfer, aren't you? I like to golf. I'm not good at it, per se. <laughs> I think our team is working on golf tourneys again for this year. You'll be there, right? Yes, for sure. For sure. So I don't know what to say. Probably the one thing that sets me apart from most is I actually have my college degree in real estate, which most people probably... I didn't know that. You probably told me... (laughs) Oh my gosh, sorry. I knew that. So yeah, I graduated from the University of Northern Iowa with my degree in finance with real estate emphasis. So I was one of the first graduates to come out of that program. Where? From University of Northern Iowa. Okay. So the Iowa Association of Realtors used to fund, help fund that program. So I was one of the first graduates to come out of that program. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I I, I knew this, of course, but still, I'm acting surprised. Go back, go back further than that. Where are you from? Uh, north of Marshalltown, so a little town called Liscom that most people would not probably know. I uh, went to the alphabet school, I guess is what uh, most people would refer to it as, BCLUW. Oh. So five little towns to make up one high school, graduating class of 50. You get out of school and you decide to go into a, a degree in real estate. Why? Well, not really. Okay. I thought I was going to be an accountant. Um, and then got to you and I went to Marshtown Community College first, um, because I had scholarships to go there and I was paying for college on my own. So I was going to take advantage of what I could. So I went to MCC first and still thought I was going to do accounting. In fact, there were six of us that left MCC and went to you and I for accounting and quickly five of us left that program. (laughs) So first time I started Mm. flunking in my life. Uh, so I was like, crap, I got to figure out what I got to do because I could only drop so many credit hours when you're getting, when you're borrowing your money, you have to stay full time basically in school. I was going to ask that this might be too personal, but you were taking student loans back then. Yep. Yeah. So I wasn't sure what was available back then. Yeah. 
Yeah. So I had student loans. Um, there was no free aid for me because I worked 40 hours while I was going to MCC. So then when I got to UNI, they took my income and my mom's combined, which was still peanuts, um, but basically didn't qualify for anything. So I had to borrow and work. Mm. I still worked 40 hours while I was going to school at UNI. What were you doing well. for work? So a little bit of everything. I did Kelly Temporary Services for a while, which put me in the banking industry. Um, so I sat behind the scenes, like putting together everybody's bank statements and your credit, like your checks that went with your bank statements. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting. Um, then there was a video store that opened Hollywood video and it was open till 2 AM. So that was a shift that I picked up, which was terrible, but at the same time allowed me to get some hours in. And then I went to work for a real estate office while I was up there too. So there was a better homes and gardens franchise at the time. Um, so I worked for them for a few years to kind of the front desk admin ran around and took pictures for the appraisers, stuffed envelopes, sent out mailers, all of that stuff. What year is that? Oh gosh, that would have been 97, 98. I just love all of that. (laughs) No, I mean, my kids are working pretty hard. Caden is just crushing it right now and saving so much of his money, but, um, I feel like so much has just been lost in 20, 30 years in terms of work ethic. Oh, for sure. So you didn't come from uh, means. No. And so you had to figure this out yourself. Yep. Yep. And I think that is invaluable Yeah. in uh, just work ethic and just becoming, right? Yeah. Yep. So you pay your way through college. You shift into a real estate space from accounting because it turns out you're terrible with numbers. <laughs> wasn't terrible with numbers. It just was not prepared for you and I accounting. It's one of the hardest accounting schools out there. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, when I left that, I was trying to decide what to do. I knew marketing was not for me because I was never going to be a salesperson. Like that was not my thing. I know. So they had a finance program and I started reading the coursework and I was like, well, this still has to do with numbers and finance and that interests me. And then they had a real estate side of it, which I had a cousin at the time that sold real estate. Um, He was quite a bit older than me, so I didn't really know much about real estate, but I'm like, well, that sounds kind of interesting. So then Mm -hmm. I took off with that, which all of their program was pretty much commercial based, which quickly made me decide I hated that. Um, So honestly, when I left college, I had no idea what I was going to do. So I just sent my resumes out there to a couple different places. There was a Better Homes and Gardens office in Des Moines at the time. Um, so I threw my resume out there. Also threw it out to Iowa Realty because those were like the two websites that I found. Didn't realize, though, that they were sister companies. Mm-hmm. So the HR person got my resume cover letter twice, and they both said the exact same thing. So that was kind of embarrassing. <laughs> but, yeah, but I got you, the job. <laughs> how are you supposed to know? At Better Homes? I did. Yep. So you start there, not as an agent, though, right? No, I was the assistant to the general manager. Uh. That's what Dwight, that's Dwight's position. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. Sure was. So what'd you do? Uh, So I kind of did a little bit of everything. I spent half my time as her assistant and then half my time as helping out the accounting department Mm -hmm. um, on the other, on the Iowa Realty side. We're hiring accountants right now. Yeah, no. It sounds. (laughs) I'm out. It didn't take me long to go back to Gail and say, I'm not going to do that job anymore. So either hire me full time or I'm going to leave. So you think you would have learned your lesson about accounting by that point. (laughs) I hear a theme already. Right. Well, it wasn't by choice. It's just what they happen to have available. So, so they slid me into that position full time and, um, 
the rest is history. Then I was there for like six months and a, uh, a position became available in the relocation department. Yeah, I remember that. So that was with Better Homes. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I jumped on board for that. And that's when I kind of decided that I really had the knack for not being at a desk. I was a people person because that job, I would call, you know, the transferees going in and out and interview them and kind of figure out what was a good fit with one of our team members and then Different place them. Different kind of relo, right? Yep. I mean, this is more client facing. Yes. You're interviewing. Yep. Wow. Yeah, because I was the referral coordinator is what my position was. Where were they was. coming from? Was this like corporate relo? Or was yep, this everywhere. So it was agent to agent referral, corporate relo. Okay. Um, Marjane Richmond, who we no had for our part, you know, some she was here part of our life. Uh, she was the relocation director, but we had a heavy load of foreclosures at that time, bank-owned properties. So she spent most of her days dealing with those. Wait, what year is this? Well, I got licensed in 99, so it would have been like 2000, early 2000. Heavy foreclosures then. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, by heavy, I mean maybe we had five. I don't know how many she had at any given time, but yeah. she had to coordinate getting people in there, junking them out, changing the locks, yeah. all of that stuff. So that took a lot of her day. Yeah, that doesn't show up at all in our reload department today. I mean, no. We're just not dealing with a lot of inventory properties no. or anything. No, when people ask me what about foreclosures, I kind of laugh because mm -hmm. we just don't have them anymore. And it might and, be a while before we do. Right. And back then, <clears> I mean, there were decent properties. Now, if mm. you find a foreclosure, it seems like it's... Torn it's apart. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that was the majority of her day. So the majority of my day then was handling all of the referrals that came in. And we had quite a quite a few that came in. Um, so then I would place them with the agents after I found out what the clients were looking for. <clears throat> That's when I discovered that I didn't really want to be behind a desk anymore. Mm. But I was scared, obviously, to go sell real estate. Um, it's hundred percent commission. And that would have been the first time in my life. I didn't have income coming in of some sort. So I decided to work for a husband and wife team for about three months. And that was in the last quarter of the year. So terrible time <laughs> to sell real estate with someone. Who was that? Uh, Joe and Kathy Spick. Okay. Yeah. So I was their assistant for a short time and, um, they didn't have the world's best quarter. Therefore I wasn't making any money. And so I went back to Marjean and I said, hey, can I get 10 hours a week and I'm going to go do this real estate thing. So she gave me 10 hours a week so I'd have money to pay my rent or at least part of it. And then I went and sold. So I set a goal of 12 houses that first year and I sold 12. Now, you're at this point uh, single, married, you've got kids? Married. Kay. No kids yet. No kids yet. Yep. Married, living So just getting started. Yep ex-husband at the time well he was the husband at the time now ex-husband he was getting his master's so okay. he wasn't really working um so yeah I was kind of floating the boat for all of us mm. so eventually that though gets going and you cut mm -hmm. the reload out and go full-time yep I don't remember how long I did that probably about a year okay. I think and then I just went off on my own and I can think out. of no better um opportunity than to have a foot in earning some income right. but in the real estate space while getting your career started 20 right. 30 hours a week yep seems uh like a good opportunity yeah we get a lot of requests for that but it's not always viable right and it's dangerous too because if it's more than 10 or 20 hours a week of employment you you, you aren't putting the time in to get right your business started yep 
So a different world back then though, right? I mean, and maybe we'll get to that in a minute, like what's changed? Because, you know, the business is still, it's still people and it's still housing, mm-hmm. but I feel like a very different space. I mean, how the MLS functioned was different. This right. is this is post uh, book and stuff, right? right. Like you're yeah. still, this is all. Post book. We had two MLSs though, because that's when. Iowa Realty was separate correct. from. Yeah. 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 So two different systems. I can't remember, you know, much about that per se. Mm. We were the sister company to Iowa Realty, so we were on their system. Um, And I quickly got involved because of Gail. So Gail Flagel is who I was the assistant to, and she was president of DMAR, IAR, something like that in that time frame. So she got me really heavily involved at the state association at that time. Um, I remember going to my first convention 20 years, 20 some years ago. So put a flag in that because I actually want to spend some time there. You're uh, that's that's been a, a, a part of my story with you is mm-hmm. you twisting my arm to get involved at right. the board level. Um, talk, keep going, though, because at some point you shift out of better homes. Well, so better homes uh, about I can't remember shortly at maybe a year or two after they were better homes. They got bought out by, by, first, GMA, yeah. by GMAC. Yeah. So it always was first realty, but then GMAC bought out better homes and gardens. Better homes first and then GMAC first. Got right. it. Um, and then slowly, I think they switched over to Prudential. I can't really remember. Somewhere in there, Doug Burnett, though, in 2000, he opened Burnett Realty. Doug was not with them. Doug was He a, was. He was a part of he all was the a, way back to the beginning. With yep. the, he was first realty forever. Wow. And that's how I met him. Um, he was one of the managers. So part of my job as as Gail's assistant was going to the management meetings and taking the notes. And then I'd type up the notes and send them out to the managers. Mm. So I got to know Doug really, really well back then. And he just, he knew his stuff. I mean, he just, he was super smart. He, you know, just, he was awesome. So when he started Burnett Realty in 2000, I initially wanted to go, but I felt like I owed it to First Realty because Mm. I knew all of the managers. I was scared to leave. Um, So I waited it out three years, and then I eventually decided to switch over to Burnett. Um, For people who don't know Doug Burnett, Mm -hmm. who's Doug Burnett? Uh, so he was larger than life, which seems kind mm. of crazy because he was, you know, six foot 11. Isn't um, that weird though? Like that's the first phrase that I would think mm-hmm. to describe him as well. Yeah. He really was. Yeah. And when you talk about taking the high road, I mean, Doug is who comes to mind. Doug taught me that from day one. Like you just, you always did. You did the right thing. You took the high road, you gave your all and you did it for other people, not yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't know the other people, not yourself, part of Doug um, until getting to know them a little bit better. Actually, at the uh, she served on the board for heck uh, Easter Seals. Oh, sure. So, yeah, yeah. So Doug, Doug was a mentor for you for quite some time. Yeah. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, Doug passed away. What's it been now? Like November. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and so, yeah. Uh, larger than life and uh doug played a big role funny enough in my story not a big role but when i first joined dmar doug was either the chair of the i think he was the chair of the mls committee because he was sitting at the end of the table and i had to go in and anyone opening a new firm in dmar has to go interview with the mls committee right 
And uh, man, that was intimidating. I think it was Doug and I mean, I don't know who the others were, but I think one of them was, um, oh heck, Don Godwin. Oh, sure. Yep. But a bunch of older guys in suits Mm -hmm. and Doug was seven foot tall. Right. And uh, just a booming personality. And I remember having to answer a bunch of questions when we opened our firm. So, Uh, but yeah, quite a guy. So you spent a bunch of years with Doug then at Mm -hmm. Burnett. Yep. Yes, I think I was there for nine years before I came over here. Um, And yeah, I mean, it was, it was an amazing office. We had just, and this is what I've tried to instill in my Urbandale group is just the camaraderie we have, the fun that we had there. And it was definitely a family atmosphere. Yeah. Um, The sales meetings were great, you know, and I've thought that day one when I came to one of our sales meetings, like when I left the room, I was like, wow, that's the, you know, it had been a lot of time since I'd been in a room where there was that kind of passion and just. I guess I'm confused by that statement because didn't you come straight from Burnett to us? I did, but Doug was getting to the point where he was starting to kind of retire, stepping out. Yeah, and I knew. I yep, he was focusing on his farm, and I knew there was a change coming. Got it. Um, And that was about the time that they were looking at Keller Williams, but I didn't. I wasn't privy to that information Mm. at the time, but I knew something was changing. It just was a little different. And then I had done a transaction with Megan. And I was, had gone through a divorce. So I was, you know, working as many hours as I could when I didn't have the boys. And when I was with the boys, I was trying not to work, but it was becoming harder and harder. So I had gone to Doug and said, I need an assistant. And we talked about what that would look like. And I was like, well, I can't afford that because I pay child support and, you know, just Mm -hmm. wasn't in my radar. So then Megan and I went to lunch and she's like, you need to come talk to Joe and Dylan. So that's when we met. I remember those meetings. There were several of them right. all over coffee, if well, I recall. Well, as you heard, it took me three years to move to Burnett. Is that a loyalty thing? Yeah, for sure. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, go back real quick before we jump to that transition. So I'm, I'm interested in b- both Doug himself, mm-hmm. but but also Burnett's culture mm-hmm. as a, you, you call it a smaller family style. Mm-hmm. How, how many agents were there? Um, so when I came over... We were somewhere under 30 because I remember we Mm. used to celebrate every time we'd get to a certain number. So like at 30, we had a certain celebration at 40 and at 50. um, And I don't remember now what the celebrations were, the goals, but pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Which, which makes for a culture where, mm -hmm. you know, people and you show up to, to team meetings and. Right. Yep. So what did you learn from, from Doug and your time at Burnett? And, and maybe you could even answer that question going back. So take this in chapters. What did you learn from your, your time with First Realty? I like to think of it as uh, chapter headings. Like right. if you wrote a book, what would, what would th- that one be about? So I think First Realty had a lot of seasoned agents. Okay. I mean, the majority of the group there was seasoned agents. And so I learned how to work really hard under those agents. And whenever any of them would go on vacation, I'm like, I'll cover, I'll cover, I'll do it, I'll do it, because it was a learning experience. I never wanted paid for it. I didn't care. I just wanted to be able to learn. Um, And there was a ton, yeah, just a ton of knowledge um, in that space. So that would probably be what I would say. Which we see today in our office, right? Agents that show up that are hungry, want to be a sponge and aren't trying to just monetize it. Like they want to plug in and learn from top agents. 
over and over and over again, I see those guys excel because mm-hmm. there's there's tons of opportunity in office. Yeah, if you're willing to be that person. Yeah, but that was that goes back to your kind of work ethic from before, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and it was we just had a great group there. I mean, I remember Thursdays we would head over. There was a little bar restaurant next door, and we'd head over there about three o'clock, and it was just the stories you would hear, mm. you know, from the old group. I hate to call them old, but. They were. I mean, now I say they're not because I'm getting up there. But uh, but like Ron and Sally Hampton were my favorite. I mean, they were my second set of parents. I mean, to this day, mm. I adore them. And, you know, they just, they taught me a lot. Lori Phelan taught me a lot. Um, There's just a ton of knowledge in that space. And so it was hard to leave them. But mm. Doug, I was like he had a calling. I don't know. I just... I knew that he would do great things and he was just an awesome person. And there was a great group of people, of course, that went over there, but I would say that was the younger crowd of folks for sure Mm. that um, were at Burnett. So yeah, I would say that's what I learned. Yeah. So he had a calling. Well, that's a, that's a big statement right there. I mean, and Doug, Doug was a guy that had a vision and was doing things and um, he was inspiring as a leader, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. like wanting to follow him makes sense. Uh, so what, what, what do you take away from your years at Burnett? Um, probably kind of what I said earlier is that Doug, you always did the right thing, no mm-hmm. matter how difficult it was, um, of a decision to make, you just, you always did the right thing and you took the high road. And even if it meant, you know, you lost all your commission on yeah. that deal, nothing that I ever experienced personally, but just the, you know, the situations that we would talk about with him, there was just, there was never any question about what the right thing was to do. Um, and he had, we had a ton of fun. I mean, I have so many memories with Doug. I don't know if you saw the article I wrote in the magazine, real producers magazine, but there, there, he was just fun. I mean, we did canoe trips every year, which was amazing. I Mm. did rag ride because of him. I mean, and I never in a million years was like, I have zero desire to ride a bike. Granted, I didn't ride it all the way across Iowa, but I'm still like, that sounds terrible. Um, and I did it for five years. He just, he did, he made you step out of your comfort zone. I guess that's probably a good way to say it too. That's what good leaders do. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> there's an element of that smaller real estate company, which is where we came from. Right. That you, uh, yeah, it's, you could, I'm envious. It's very hard to keep growing. The problem is if you do something well, if you take the high road, you do right by people, more people want to join you. Yep. And as people join, things evolve. And right. so the super small feel of that, is something we, it's harder to, to, to duplicate that here. So what we're trying to figure out how to do is do that at the office level. Right. And that's what, you know, the Urbandale office, we'll get to that in a minute, but you guys kind of have that. There's 40 yeah. something of you there. Your office alone is bigger than what Doug's right. <laughs> company was at that time. Right. And it has a pretty intimate, close connected feel, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. And there were things too, I guess, Doug taught me about RPAC also. I mean, I, mm. because of him, would show up and I would give every year, even when it was, I could only do 25 and that felt like a lot of money, but that's what I did. Mm. Um, we had our client party every year and the entire company like gave so much money towards the party and we threw the party on as agents and all of our clients came and we had a band and it was amazing. And each year that grew and grew. Um, so there were just certain, certain things with him that was non-negotiable. Yeah. And if you didn't <clears throat> like it, you didn't, you weren't there. You left. I'm, I'm thinking about how to institute some of that here. Right, I know, <laughs> I know. 
So when we start talking, Doug's um, Doug's moving on to a next chapter of his life. Mm -hmm. um, he's focusing on his hobby farm. Mm -hmm. And he's obviously got Keller Williams in his mind now. Yeah. I think they, because uh, for anyone that doesn't know, uh, eventually Burnett becomes absorbed into the Keller Williams system. Yep. And the way Keller works, like EXP and others, they look for a team or a smaller company to be their starting point. Right. And then they, they bring them on and then they expand from there. So, so Doug eventually becomes Keller Williams and he becomes sort of the, the founding grandfather of, K, of KW here in a way, right. but isn't like central to the leadership at all. So it's in that context that you're looking, no, you're not even looking for something else. Megan brings us up, you meet with us. Yep. What I remember about those conversations was a lot of discussion about the ceiling of complexity. Do you remember drawing that? I, th I feel like you don't. What do you remember from those conversations? Well, I remember I was in a place where 5 million had been my goal yes. for like five years and I had never hit it. Um, but I also felt like I couldn't physically do any more just because I was a single mom. Hence the assistant conversation. Right. And, and my uh, kids were two and five. I mean, they were, I mean, I was, I was a single mom <clears throat> and paying child support which is not what you hear most often, right? Yeah. So I had a lot, plus I had a mortgage and I had a car payment. I mean, I had a lot going on. And I always told myself, if I have to go get a waitressing job, I'll do it to make ends meet. Um, but I didn't want to give up on real estate. And so Meg, at the time, you guys had a MAC, you and your acronyms. Do you remember that? Uh, Marketing and Client Services. Yes, yeah. MACs, I guess it was. So... I don't even remember. Was it? This is terrible. I should remember her name. It was somewhat Goder. different. Yes. And then <clears throat> shortly after that. Yeah. Al Alyssa? We've had a lot of peeps. Yes. So so we had the MAX program, which for anyone that doesn't know, this was uh, hiring assistants for agents and having three or four agents contract with an assistant. Right. And so that was a way for you to get administrative support without having to take it all on yourself. Right. Yep. Because back then, imagine this, you had to load your own photos onto the MLS and you had to tweak them and take them. And that was a lot of my day when I was at Burnett. Mm. I'd go take my listing photos, think I have the best picture, come back and they're crooked or whatever it was. So mm. hiring a photographer was the best thing. But back then, you know, that was a lot of money to hire a photographer. So um, but just to have that piece, you guys took over a lot of the admin stuff internally, um, that Burnett had us do. And I'm not sure why. The um, conversation then was always about the production line. We always talked about, right. um, Henry Ford didn't make the first car. He just figured out how to systematize the process so that there was specialization. Right. And our, our thought there, which now comes into even your broker position, our thought was always that, um, Agents and brokers are jacks of all trades and specialists of nothing. And if you can take some parts of that off their, their workload, that they can do what they do best, which is go out and make it rain and right. deal with clients. Yep. I forgot about the max. That's, uh, <laughs> well, it was a good and bad chapter. It was us working very, very diligently to figure out how to get administrative support for you guys because we knew you needed it. Right. The program didn't work because there was a lack of... Um, What's the right way to put it? Ownership from the agents where it's like, well, this is someone you hire and I just need them to do things. And so the amount of training that agents were willing to put into those individuals or specific direction 
Um, and we see this in all walks of life. Like if you go out and hire someone and train them, you know you've got to get the result that you're looking for because it's on you. But if somebody else brings an assistant to you, the expectation is that they're going to somehow magically figure out what you need done. And they cannot. But we've had lots of people ask if we could redo Max. <laughs> um, and I don't think it's the right idea. What do you think? No, I agree with you. I mean, back then what she did was minimal. I mean, it was database not even database management but it was yeah. like getting your newsletters or your flyers ready or something like what i did in college for the agents that it was that kind of stuff but, but it got you started for sure for it took some stuff off my plate absolutely yeah um but she wasn't doing any of the transactional side of stuff which crazy enough like that's the piece i still love like i don't mind filling out a sales sheet or info sheet whatever we call them these days but obviously now my Chandra does all of that. This for is me. the pseudo accountant in probably. You. Are, yeah. Do you know you're a Colby? Are you like a higher fact finder? I can't remember. Mm. I should know this, but well, so when you say five million being a ceiling and administrative support being your problem, I hear ceiling of complexity. Right. And ceiling of complexity is uh, you remember the picture? Mm -hmm. Like you, I do. You're yeah. a rugged individual, and because you are, you you grow and you find a way. And your story is rugged individual, like your childhood. Your, I mean, that's what I hear when you talk. And so because of that, you were able to find a way. You worked hard and you you you, you succeeded where 75% fail. But then once you figure out how to do this, your rugged individualism actually becomes a hindrance right. because you start bouncing up against a ceiling of complexity. And that happened to be around the $5 million mark for you. Um, busting through that is a function of changing your mindset, changing your understanding of how you leverage your money, but also your time and also people and systems. Right. And so Max was just a way to kind of crack through that ceiling for you, I think. Yep. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, if I, I'd have to go back and look, but I think I hit seven million that first year with you guys. So and then I blew uh, five out of the water, and then yeah. I think I did fourteen the next year, and then I said, "Oh dear heavens, I never want to do that again." Yeah. That you went from lot. seven to 14? Yeah, I think I did. Wow. Without an assistant. Because I think about that time, shortly after I came, it seems like you guys figured out, Max, Was that it, it wasn't really working. <laughs> so I think I, I think a year-ish. Well, because then we moved. Because I was at the 86th Street office. Wow. So I don't remember how many years we were there, but. <clears throat> I always, whenever we're doing these recordings and then I'm reminiscing with people, I'm like, most people have no freaking clue what, <laughs> what we're, we're talking, talking about. about, but we've got a lot of time with some of you guys yeah. over the years. So yeah, 86th, then we moved to the basement of where we are now and then we moved upstairs. Right. Um, okay. So ceiling of complexity for me was a chapter because I'll never forget sitting with you at coffee and, and talking with you about that. And, <clears throat> you know, I think your loyalty was kicking in a little mm -hmm. bit and we met several times before you finally made that leap. And it was, yep. I think a, a challenge for you. Yeah. Cause you were loyal to Doug, Yep. but Doug was not really into the business anymore. No, no. Which is good for him. Right. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And good um, for you guys, because it made me make the switch, which I would have done. Once they became Keller Williams, I would have You left. weren't that interested in not, that? I didn't know anything about Keller Williams at all. Um, you guys told me a little bit about it, but I, that would not have been my cup of tea. Well, when we heard Keller was coming, um, 
and Century 21 as an organization was dealing with Keller and other markets. One of the mm -hmm. things they did that we're deeply grateful for is they took the time to spend a whole bunch of, uh, they invested in research to, to provide information to us on the model. Mm -hmm. And we had looked at Keller prior to that. Remember so before that. Doug ever had, Joe and I had gone to some Keller conferences, read all the books and thought about them as a, a franchise. And right. yeah, ultimately they, are, they were brilliant then. <laughs> at the education component. Like Millionaire Real Estate Agents Shift, I still recommend those books to this day, but their model is is broken. I, I believe, I don't know who's gonna listen to this, but I mean, I firmly believe that their model is flawed. Yeah. And it's because they don't understand the relational element of the business that we focused on so well over right. the years. Um, okay, so you bust through and you have a breakthrough year seven, then 14, and you've kind of um, hovered around that level now for the mm -hmm. last several years. Talk to me about that. Are you, is that a, a comfort level? Do you desire more? Do you? So I quickly decided the older my kids got, the more I wanted to be present. I didn't want to miss their sporting events. I didn't want to miss their activities. I wanted to be there. Um, and I had stopped doing open houses years ago. It was never my cup of tea. Mm -hmm. It is how I had to start my business because I knew no one moved to the big city from a little town and didn't know anyone here. So obviously had to do open houses and that stuff, but I quickly decided they were no longer for me. Had a few little weird situations happen at open houses that I was like, yep. This safety stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep, safety stuff. That I was like, yeah, this is not for me. I had missed a couple of flag football games, you know, when Quincy was like three. And I was like, what am I doing? This is a waste of my Sunday. Um, so for me to, um, now let's be honest, we're all real estate agents. So of course we're competitive. And I set my goals at a certain point, hoping I'm going to achieve that. And sometimes I do. And sometimes I don't. I always hit my baseline of what I for sure, my must have goal, I call it. Um, but my blow it out of the park goal, I don't always hit. Um, and I feel bad about it for a little bit because that's what we do as humans who sell real estate because we're weird. Um, but I look back and go, I didn't miss a game. I didn't miss, you know, something for my kids. And I'm a much better mom because of it. I went through some times where I wasn't proud of the person I was as a mom. I was short with them. I was on edge. I had you were busy. And, oh yeah. yeah, had to cook dinner, but I had to write an offer. And who was going to win? Was I going to feed my kids first, or was I going to write the offer first? Mm -hmm. um, and now, of course, we're in a completely different frenzied market than what we were in then. Um, but you just always feel that pressure, I think, as a real estate agent, because you don't want to let your clients down either. Um, it's a tough balance. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, but I can look back and say, Hey, I'm doing really well and I haven't missed anything with my kids. And now Quincy's a junior. We're doing our first college visit on Wednesday and I'll probably start crying. So yeah, like <laughs> you don't get those years back and it's going to suck when he's gone. So yeah, I've, we're in similar chapters. Mm -hmm. I'm a little behind you on that, but, um, it, it is he healthy that there's a, a progressive weaning process. You know, they turn 16, they get cars, and you start seeing them a little bit less. Right. And then, so by the time they're ready for that, it's it's not like it's a cold turkey, right? Right. But, yeah, that's a, it's a whole different chapter. Yeah, a whole different chapter. So next year's going to fly. I know it. Um, so I'll probably sell less real estate next year because I'll be wanting to hang on to every little second I have with them. But you, you have systematically yeah. and consistently killed it, right? Yeah. Like there's nothing, 
I mean, I love the honesty about, yeah, sometimes I want to do more. And because even I think this year, I think at the beginning of the year, I maybe heard that you had some frustration about your number or something <laughs> like that. It's, which is fascinating to me because it's, it's, it's natural because we're competitive and there's right. people around you. And, uh, and yet where you're at, I doubt you could ever have imagined, right? Right. Yeah. And uh, I know you guys just built a lovely new home. I, I know that you're, I think you have decent balance in how you run your business. I know you do have full-time administrative support now yep. that does a great job for you. Yep. And uh, yeah, it's, it's really about what you measure against, right? Right. And my husband and I love to travel and that's something that's really important to us. And so we, yeah, yeah we're just, my, I've prioritized my life completely differently. I think you're, uh, look, life is messy and right. everything's got problems, but um, you're living the dream. Yeah. I mean, I just think if you, if you reference where you came from, if you reference much of the rest of the world, um, it's pretty cool. I, I just, I feel like I'm a dripping tap on this and I continue to say it, but I also feel like it's my job too. Um, this industry, if you put your head down and actually do the work to get there and put people first, it's incredible what this has done to change family trees and position people to live their dream. And, and the problem with living your dream is it doesn't mean you're sitting on a, a yacht with your feet up, like right. it's messy and it's hard along right. the way. Yeah. But it's pretty darn cool where you guys are at. Yeah. I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, but yeah, I don't, I'll never be living on a yacht with my feet up. That's the reality. Because you don't, you don't I want to. Uh, no, I don't want to. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I mean, I would love to. Yeah, eventually I want to get to a space where I can take a month off in December or January because I yeah. freaking hate Iowa winter. But yes, I still have the anxiety of paying for college for kids coming up. Yeah. And, you know, now we built this house and what are our taxes going to be? And I'm having a lot of anxiety. Well, about you, you did build a very nice house. Yeah, which is I'm very envious. fault. Um. I, uh, I haven't been in in it, but I've seen photos and I, I think you, you beat me to the, I, I waited too long. And so now I feel like I'm stuck with where, where prices are at. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, very good. Uh, what, what'd you learn from your C21 years? Oh, so I had a thought on that earlier and now I completely lost it and I've been trying to get it back. Um, you can come back later. Yeah. Well, Buffini, obviously, you guys introduced me to Buffini. I had gone to one of the Wells Fargo auditorium, yeah. like, whatever, not the same thing, obviously. Um, so Buffini has been a huge part of my life for sure. Working by referral. Mm -hmm. um, which I always worked that way anyway, so it just was a no-brainer that, you know, that made sense. Um, what of... I don't want you to lose that thought again. Do you have it or? No, I can't. So I can't remember. Here's what I've learned about that. <clears throat> Multiple other companies over the years, over the last 10, we were the first to teach Buffini at all anywhere in the Midwest. Mm -hmm. But um, as, as others started to get exposed to it, they would have those big seminars and they would have hundred days to greatness or peak producers or whatever in their companies. But it was never the same. Like we would, we would bring a lot of people on who had been exposed to Buffini, but it's like, well, I think when you start with a transactional mindset about the business, then you get exposed to Buffini and you transactionalize even that. Mm -hmm. And so, oh yeah, of course it's about my database. Oh yeah, of course it's about working by referral. But you can do that in a way that actually still is putting the transaction ahead of the relationship. And it's like they hear the content, but just don't quite get it. 
So we've done nothing genius here. I just think we have a deeper commitment to the idea of building the relationship than what a lot of other brokerages do. So when we coach and hear and listen and, and, you know, repeat Buffini isms, I think we're doing it with a a slightly different angle. Does that make any sense? Yeah, for sure. I think that's what's worked. Mm -hmm. So I'm interested to hear what uh, else you come up with, but, uh, anytime. Well, I can't, I, I, I'll probably never get that thought back, but I will, you I remember will. the day that you and Joe approached me to be a manager and get mm. my broker's license. And I'm pretty sure I said, hell no, because <laughs> I had zero interest and here you are. in managing people. <laughs> but again, it took you, what, three years, mm. two years. I think you guys had to beg me for a while. Uh, so you definitely made me step outside of my comfort zone mm. for sure. Um, when you said we had to step up and run the sales meetings, I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to make this meeting as good as you can. Um, because that is one thing I have always said is that you just what you can say in a room of people I'm in awe of. Um, I don't think I'll ever get there, but I've been told I'm doing a really good job. So thank you, Megan, for the kudos because she always reassures me. Well, your meetings have been great. And I think what's so cool about it is that <clears throat> I was fully aware of your that not being your superpower yet, right. you know? And so you stepped in and stepped up and, and you even did something remarkable. You, you, you were straight up with your team. You were like, Hey, this is not something I'm super comfortable at yet. And right. so help, help me out. And, and they did. Yeah, and that's what's did. made Urbandale so good is it's a, it's been a group effort mm-hmm. to build a culture there where people support each other. And so, yeah, you've come a long way on that. It's, it's fun to see people step. I, I don't like to step out of my comfort zone. Right. So it takes but when you lead, you really don't have a choice because whatever comes your way, you have to go do. Right. So you, you, when did you step into that role? It's been seven, eight years maybe? Yeah, I can't remember. And that to me is another example of production, uh, Henry Ford. Like what, what, what we've done, I think, well, it's always been a challenge, but I think not having managing brokers that have to be responsible for budgets and staffing and right. that you could step in as a transaction broker, be a resource to your team on transactions, which is what you know backwards, like the back of your hand, right? right. But not have to worry about that other stuff. I feel is what's made that... Um, uh, viable for you because you sure weren't going to give up sales to no. do that. Yeah. No, no. So super quick. Um, uh, I'm interested in some of these things. What do you, do you, would you, do you know your agent archetype? Like, do you narrow that down to one thing or? Um, yeah, I can Networker, marketer, yeah, I think prospector, I'm converter. Converter and networker, I think are the two that I am, which doesn't make sense to me because I'm very much an introvert. Like if I walk into a room of people that I don't know, I'm going to hide in the corner. Interesting. Yeah, I don't get it. You're a networker with the people you know, like, and trust. For sure. You don't want to go like meet a whole bunch of new people. No. So what about the converter thing? How does that manifest itself? Uh, So the converter for me is just, I can have conversations with people one-on-one so I'm not good at cold calling per se, which is why I think I sucked at open houses because I would try to approach someone and talk to them and they were like, didn't want to talk to me. And I'm like, okay, well, fine. I'm not going to tie you down and make you sign a contract with me by any means. If you don't want to work with me mm. and I want to work with you. Um, and I don't, yeah. So I think. But that might actually both be networker then. 
Yeah. Like when I think converter, I think cold stranger. And so open house definitely falls in there. Otherwise like online lead sources and long-term incubation. I think what you just described sounds more like a subset of networker. Like once you're face to face with people, you can win trust. Yeah. But I guess they're strangers. So that's what converting is. I'm just trying to remember because it's been a while since we sat down and went through that and it seemed like I was. The grid. Yeah. Yeah, It seemed like I was on both. We need to revisit that with people. So what about lead sources? Where is all your business coming from now? So the majority of my business is referrals, past client referrals, my database, um, just working that sphere. Intentionally at this point or 20 something years in, do you just get to a point where, because I believe that there's two forces at play. One is that in time, if you're halfway decent, you're going to start to get more and more referrals from people you know. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, But then there's a different force, which is the intentionality of staying in front of those people, coaching them that you need referrals. And so, you know, 23 years in, I guess I'm just curious, how intentional have you been about building it by referral or how much of it is just you've earned your stripes? And so I think I've been pretty intentional with building my database. I remember one of the first classes I took for pre-license was with Mike Smith, a trainer that had been around for many, many, many years. And I still remember him saying, you have to touch your people every 17 days. And I was like, what? So Couldn't I Couldn't even use that sentence anymore today. That well, sounds, sounds inappropriate. <laughs> of course you would go there. Sorry. And you wonder why you're like, your wife likes Bridgerton. Um, so yeah, so that was just always my, in the back of my mind. It's like, okay, every two and a half weeks, they have to hear from you, mm. um, which seemed crazy and back then you know it was it was snail mail I mean that was really your phone call avenue yeah Yeah. or phone call right um so that's just always stuck with me um I love birthdays always have birthdays are a big deal so I try to celebrate my clients birthdays their kids birthdays that's one of the first questions I ask when I'm with them um you just systematized that you you got them all written down it's my thing yeah that's my thing so any month, um, Chandler would know better than I, but I'm writing out 30 to 60 birthday cards every month wow. and I'm physically writing them out. She's not, she addresses them, but she's handing them to me and I'm writing them out every month. She gives me my list of people and I can go through and mark them up and say, this is how old they are, whatever. And she's like, how do you do that? I'm like, I, I don't know. Like I can just, yeah, it's mm. weird. Um, so yeah, I think I'm pretty intentional with that. What I suck at is physically saying, Hey, who do you know that's moving? Who do you, you know, I'm bad at that. My Mm. coach gently reminds me every call that I need to keep asking. So that's probably the thing that I'm not great at is asking for the business. Did you Um, listen to Jessica Gilligan's podcast recently? Uh, I started it and I haven't finished it. That was one of the biggest takeaways I got from her. She does do that. And I really think like for a lot of you guys, if you could just add that ingredient, which is why your coach is hammering you on it, that it would massively transform some things. Yep. You only get what you ask for. Right. Yep. So yeah, that's what the thing I need to add in. That's my secret ingredients. Forget videos. I need to do that. Well, one, that'd be a lot less work than videos. Right. Yeah. You told me three, two to three years ago when I was struggling and saying I needed to do videos, you're like, but do you? (laughs) So thank you for that because that has been a huge weight off of my shoulders. Speak more to that. So you decided that you didn't need to? I just is not my comfort zone. Um, I can't, yeah, I just, 
I cringe at the thought of it. And I know I'm not alone in that. And yeah. clearly I'm selling, you know, 13 to $15 million of real yeah. estate. And that's kind of what you said. Yeah. You don't need it. Um, that's why I love archetypes because right. we, we've got to figure out how to be true to ourselves. It doesn't mean you don't have to do hard things. Right. It just means you might as well do hard things in a river that's flowing in the direction that you're comfortable with. Right. Like, um, there's still work to be done, but yeah, if you're doing what you're doing, figure out where you can put a paddle in the water in a, in a way that's natural to you. It just makes so much more sense. So I'm very excited about this new accountability that everyone now knows about. You're going to start doing a better job of asking for referrals. Chandra, if you're listening. <laughs> yeah, Chandra. Love it. Yep. Um, so uh, speak to her real quick. So she's full-time, right? Yep. And what does she do with and for you? Uh, well, so... Many people probably don't realize this or know it, but Chandra is actually my niece, so we're nine months apart. Um, her mom was my half-sister, and she has passed, bless her heart. But um, So Chandra moved back to, she needed to come back home. So she had been in California for way too long, and it was time to come back home. Um, so it helped her find a house, and she was working at Nationwide and doing some other things. And then I was at that point where I was starting to try to find another assistant. It was time because um, I'd gone through a few, as we all do. And I knew it was risky, but I reached out and I said, hey, I would love to you know, figure out how we can make this work. And risky because it's family. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And I'm not an easy person to work for. I mean, I'm not flowers and sunshine and rainbow. Like I'm driven and I can be hard. I mean, I think you and I are a lot alike when it comes to that. I have no idea what you're talking uh -huh. about. Yeah, I think our Colby is like exactly mm. the same or we're pretty close. We've bumped heads a little bit over the years. Just a few, yeah. So no, she's been great. So she got licensed and she can do everything I can do. Um, she doesn't want to do everything that I can do, which is fine. Mm -hmm. It works. Um, so she kind of does my, all of my marketing, my back office system. She's got access to all my passwords. Actually, she sets my passwords. She's in my email every day. So like right now while we're mm -hmm. here, she's checking my email and filtering out what I don't as need. As you, or does she have client facing engagement as her? Both. Okay. Both. Yep. Both. Yep. Um, and yeah, so she's been awesome. Okay. So what would you say? Um, cause I've, I've watched that space work for you. What else would you say is working for you right now? What are you doing right? Um, so I think we are huge with communication and that's one thing I tell my clients from the very beginning, like there's an open line of communication all the time. And, we all know how, well, not in today's world, but when you would have a listing that was overpriced or wouldn't sell, like it was hard to have that conversation with your client. And I learned the hard way that leaving that, what should be said unsaid for way too long is not good for everyone it's or for worse. anyone rather. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's the hard conversation to have. But um, so I keep a line of communication open with my people at all the time. You can tell when they're not feeling great or something's not going right. Like you can tell. So you just got to figure out how to get to the bottom of that. Um, so yeah, I would say communication. We've got systems, you know, we're touching base with our clients throughout the whole transaction. Like we have actual days that we do certain things for those things. Um, yeah. So I would guess that's what communication, right? Mm -hmm. uh, uh, no names, but th that, is interesting given the context of some other agents that we're talking about right now, that that's exactly what they're doing wrong. Right. 
and you can totally see how a lack of communication or a communication, uh, a failure to do that. You're either on it and ahead of it or stuff brews. Right. And I always think about, um, I always use the sign as a metaphor. Like every morning they wake up, the first thing they do is they pull out of their driveway and they <laughs> see your silly face. I remember you saying that from probably day one. They that, come yeah, back to work. It's the next see. thing they come back from work. And all day they're thinking about what you may or may not be doing for their house. And right. if they hear nothing, they're assuming you did nothing other than look silly on their sign. Right. And now when they're working from home, they look out the window all day. and see it all day. <laughs> They're even watching a couple of cars drive by slowly. And they're like, why didn't that turn into a showing? Why didn't Jen pull them in my house? <laughs> yep. Um, no pressure. It is a very intense business that we're in. And it's very emotional and uh, almost irrational where people go. And so we have to be, I think you just have to own that. This mm -hmm. is what I do for a living. Yep. Uh, Buffini said that. We don't deal with people at their best. We deal with them at their stressed. Right. And we're definitely all of those things things for everyone. We're the marriage counselor, the therapist, the, you know, all of those things. Um, and that's one thing I learned pretty early on is you have to have very broad shoulders in this mm -hmm. business. You can't let the rejection bother you. You can't take it to it heart. It can't be personal. You, it's no. not about you. No. And it's hard to remember that, but that's, that's the biggest thing that I remember and the advice that I've given to a lot of the newbies coming in. Did you read the four agreements? I don't. Sort of like not, a Eastern yoga style book. I don't but think so. Mm -mm. For anyone listening, I that one of those is, um, yeah, uh, never, geez, I'm going to screw it up, but never make it personal, basically. Right. Um, if anyone hasn't read that, I think that's a, that's a non-negotiable read for anyone trying to figure out how to navigate crazy people, mm -hmm. especially when one of them is yourself. <laughs> the four agreements. Um. How about balancing this broker thing in sales? How's that been for you? Uh, probably the hardest year I had was when I was DMAR president. Yeah, That is about when I was like, I can't do this anymore. And we had a candid conversation about it. And you reminded me it was just a year. This shall too pass or whatever mm. you're saying is. This too shall pass. There you go. Um, yeah. So that was the hardest year. I hated Tuesdays because we had, I had meetings twice a month on Tuesdays for DMAR. And then I had our sales meetings. Uh, kudos to my team for stepping up for me uh, last year, mid-year, I think it was, because we're coming up on our year anniversary. I told them I needed help running the sales meetings because it didn't, it wasn't cohesive to move it for everybody else's schedule because of mine. And so they've stepped up and, and led the team meetings and that's been fun. I wish I could be there to watch, but I'm stuck in another well, meeting. Well, I'm there to watch and it's been one of the most impressive things yeah. is to see people take turns to lead the meeting and do brilliantly at it. So yeah. that was a good move. Yeah. So super excited about that. Um, but yeah, that year was really hard. Um, Talk about that for a second, because I actually had a bunch of thoughts on that. So you you encouraged me early to get involved at DMAR. I absolutely had no interest in being involved in the politics of, of the MLS. Right. So I'm grateful for that. I actually gained a lot by being on the MLS committee, the MLS committee chair for several years, uh, board of directors. I wish you could do it at other MLSs as well, but it's impossible to be everywhere. It's a lot of time. Um, you then were on a three-year track to be the treasurer, the second VP, the VP, and then the president. So I skipped, did I? No, I was treasurer, that's right. So Doug, actually, many years ago told me I should get involved. Mm -hmm. 
in leadership. And I just was like, whatever. And then um, I got a phone call one day and asked if I would be a board of director for I'd, you know, throw my name in the ring. And I was like, sure, I'll do that. What does it entail? I'll do it. Um, Ken Clark actually is the mm. one who did that. So um, was a board of director for two-ish years, I believe it was, maybe a little bit longer. I might have been on my second term because you do a three-year term for that. And we had a couple people step down from leadership. And so I remember being called and told I was going to be on this committee, this nominating committee. And I'm like, okay, for leadership. And so I come into the room and it's Wendell and Brennan Buckley and me, and I don't remember who all was in there, and left that room as the treasurer <laughs> that I, my name was going to get put on the sheet as treasurer. Um, I know. I was like, what? And I remember Brennan going, well, if you do that, then I'll do the other one. So at least it gave me a little bit more time to step into the president's role. Um, so yeah, I was forced into it. Um, kind of kept thinking I would just step down before I was president because I don't love um, to be in a room with a lot of people. And the mm. fact that I was going to have to get on stage and do a speech at the end of my presidency just gave me the hives like nobody's business. So I did a video. I remember that. Yep. And I think I set the precedent because now they've done a video. Well, and then we had COVID happen, but they've done a video ever since. So what'd you learn from that experience? No, <laughs> I wish I could capture that face you just made. <laughs> um, gosh, I learned a lot about our industry um, from another side of it, so to speak. I learned that there was a lot I didn't know. Mm. Um, definitely, I do, as crazy as it sounds, I do miss those meetings. I miss sitting in on the MLS meetings and I miss the executive officer meeting just to know what's going on. Because by the time, as you know, it gets to the board level, we're not hearing everything per se, um, you know, that's happening in that space. So I learned that I really want people to be held accountable. So when there's a sign in the yard and there shouldn't be, <laughs> and you're you pretty know, black and white. On I am pretty stuff. black and white on that stuff because uh, I'm all about playing fair, right? So, um, but yeah. So I would say that's probably the biggest thing is I, I learned a lot. I couldn't. I can't give you one takeaway from it, um, but it was a cool experience. I'm glad I did it. Um, if I was asked down the road if I would do it again, I probably would, but don't tell anyone. Oh, like again? Can you do it twice? Oh, yeah, I think you can, but huh. not anytime soon by any means. Yeah, it is a big commitment. That was a huge time commitment because, um, uh, yeah, board, board meetings are still going on, but now you've got to, as the president, join the MLS committee meetings. You've got to join the executive meetings. You've got to go to all these other meetings around the state with right. other associations, yeah. and so that was a big deal. You did that. And sold how much real estate that year? Oh, gosh. Whatever it was, yeah. 12, 13 million. Yeah. Plus you um, you brokered our office right. that year. That was yeah. incredible. Yeah. And you're right. I forgot about all the statewide and the national meetings. So yeah. the, the year that I was president was the first year that DMAR got a seat at the national board of directors meeting. Now, that was really cool. Mm. Um, so you I got to go sit there and do that. Yeah. It's a big room. So I got to vote on some of that stuff yeah. and you know, you're one of 600 or whatever people in the room. Well, there was a, a whole nother business behind this business. Yeah. This, the, the MLS level is a business and then this kind of national machine that's mm -hmm. going on. And I, I, I'm grateful to have been more exposed to some of the inner workings of all that. 
I also have intentionally, I don't know, like we got a lot of people here in this organization. Mm -hmm. So I go there. I hope no one's listening to this. That shouldn't be. But in my mind, my loyalty is first and foremost to this company sure. and these people. Right. And I'm going there. And yes, I'm, I'm obviously doing my duty as a board member to the association. But principally, um, if I have to choose between those two spaces, there's no doubt where I'm focusing my time and energy. So, For But sure. it, I've learned a lot uh, being more plugged in. Do this real quick. Um, give a plug so to our team members uh, that would be interested in getting more involved at the MLS or you know, association level, where would you start? And should, yeah. should you do that? Oh, I think so. I mean, again, I'll go back to Doug. Probably he's the one that got me involved. Well, Gail, I guess she kind of started me on the state level going to the conventions, which one awesome thing I will say is the convention, the state convention is now Des Moines every year from here on out, which only makes sense. We're the largest membership um, and this so, is where IAR's offices are. Correct. So, and yeah. it's central. It's so it should be here. So as far as I'm concerned, no more excuses, y'all. You have to go to convention. Um, there is a lot to learn. There's tons of networking opportunities. And that's probably the biggest thing that makes me sad about our world today is when I first started in real estate, you networked within your agents, like company-wide or outside of the company. Yeah. I mean, you knew everyone. You went to events, you met tons of people. I mean, there was just the opportunity to network has been, was amazing. Um, and I know we all get busy and we have kids and we have lives and whatever, but I still think it's really important to show up in that space. Um, besides the fact that you learn what's happening in the industry that you need to stay top of mind aware of. And we try to do a really good job of bringing that back to our meetings. But again, if you're not showing up at the meeting, you're not <coughs> hearing that stuff trying to think of what to blame that on you know COVID certainly changed the world but I I guess I feel like for the last five to ten years there's just been an increase in general busyness yeah people's lives and it's because of the pace well, of things sucked into Netflix <laughs> well there's that but I, I'm even thinking more foundationally like just how many emails you can receive a day and how much communications flying around it means we can sell more real estate and serve more clients and do more things sure but holy cow, like there's just not a lot of room to breathe. And so the intentionality around investing in relationships of other agents back then, I think you had more space for it. Yeah, probably. And I feel like the pace today is kind of scary. And so to intentionally pull back from that and go, okay, no, I'm going to focus time into getting to know all these people. And, and then you've got 2,600 agents in DMAR right, right now, for example. Right. I mean, but there's meetings all the time. So coming up on the 22nd is the annual meeting at DMARS. So anyone's welcome to attend that if you want to know what's happening in your membership. But very few guests Very tend few to people come. go because yeah. I think they just don't know about it. Um, there's tons of committees on the Iowa Association and you don't have to step up and be on a committee, but you can go to those meetings. Uh, this past session, the communications, the communications one is always good because you hear what's happening um, throughout the state association, but that was the biggest room I'd seen with people in it. And it was, it was awesome to see. Um, so I think just slowly getting involved in those things and showing up is, and you don't have to be on the committee. You can just come to those things and then you know what's going on in your industry and then be, be the person to bring that information back and talk about it. I mean, that's, you know, that's how I got involved because I was asked. Well, I blame you for all of the hours I've spent on grievance committees <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> what am I now? Professional Standards Committee, nice. Board, Chair Good of job. the MLS. Proud of you. Unbelievable. 
Um, okay. It's, uh, man, we've been going a while. Yeah. Are you still good for, good, good for a few minutes? Yeah. You got yep. places to be? I have a one o'clock appointment. I am curious about your take on the market right now Ugh. because you've been doing this a long time. You've seen some stuff. Um, uh, just business in general, like uh, what's changed? What's the same? That's a big question, but. Um, what I don't love about the market right now is looking for houses that don't exist. <laughs> like I have three or four clients that are all coming. They're not local. So whether they're two, four hours away or completely another state and trying to find a house for them. That doesn't work anymore. You can't come here for a weekend and no. find a house. No. And that's what I told them. I'm like, well, it used to be you'd come for a weekend. We'd get in the car and we'd go look at eight or nine houses yeah. and I'll be lucky to find you too. I'll be lucky to find you too. I had some folks this past uh, weekend um, on like Thursday, they were like, hey, are there some days next week we can come to town? And I was like, yeah. And then I go, but can you come tomorrow? Because they actually had just sent them five. And I was like, I think you need to come tomorrow. So they did. They showed up on Friday and they were willing to stay all day Saturday, but I literally had nothing that I could show them. We wrote an offer and we wrote a very good offer. We were second place and my heart breaks for them because they have to go through this all over again. And now they'll probably do a video tour um, I had another set of first time home buyers that I was like, let's do this because they had never looked at any houses. So I came up with some houses, wasn't anything in their criteria, was nothing they were going to buy, but I found five houses that we could go walk through. I could talk about different things within the house, the structure, the sump pump, the electrical panel, all these things, because we knew they were probably going to have to buy on a video. Mm -hmm. And this really just helped them figure out, okay, here's the different things we're looking at. And I could kind of get a sense for the floor plan they wanted just based on these houses. And we knew the, like these were a complete waste of our time, but at least they got a chance to walk through some things. Um, and then that's what they did. They bought Chandra and I went and did a video showing with them and they bought based off of that. Um, and they came and did their home inspection and thank goodness they loved it because I feel like you can't even write that in anymore, like subject to them viewing the home. I mean, I did that 15 years ago, wrote an offer for some folks out of state subject to them coming and viewing it. You couldn't get that in your negotiation. Oh, today. there's no way. Yeah. No way. You'd be disqualified yeah, at the start. Because what if they didn't like it? Yeah. So I don't love this market for anyone. I don't love it for buyers. I don't love it for sellers because heaven forbid you pick the wrong offer. Um, yeah. What I love about that story though, sorry to sidetrack what you said, but that's the definition though of, of figuring out how to create value for your clients in a mess. And yeah. if everything was super simple, then we just don't deserve to get paid. Right. And what you did there I mean, that's a beautiful process, really. Like yeah. leveraging houses they aren't going to buy as a mechanism to teach them about the one that they're going to. Right. So did you like do video outside, like the neighborhood? and? Yeah, so, um, yeah, a couple of different ways. Well, I love that we have the satellite option, obviously, in the MLS. So I teach people about that. So now when I'm setting up searches for them, I'm telling them so much more about the portal and the back end and what they can look at for themselves. Um, and we talk about, you know, what their needs are and I'm going to probably rule out the busy streets right away. And are you okay with mm. that? And they're like, absolutely. Um, so we talked through all that, but yeah, the one showing we did, we walked around the entire outside, told them about the things that we saw in the house. And then we kind of scanned the neighborhood for them. Um, mm. 
and we wrote on that one. We didn't get it, but um, yeah, that's hard writing lots of offers that you're not, <laughs> and mm-hmm. them asking you like, what would you do? What, what's going to get us this house? You know, um, it's not an answer you want to have to give. Well, you can't. Yeah. I mean, I'm I, so all I say is the best advice I can give you is to put your, put your best foot forward and know that you tried your hardest. And if you didn't get it, you you're okay with the fact that you know you did your best. It is particularly tricky yeah. out there right now. And uh, I've said this before, but those of you that have worked so long to get stability and control of your schedules, a lot of you have not lost it, but it's a lot harder to be. Oh, yeah. you got to jump. Yeah. yeah. Everything's real time. Mm-hmm. It'll, it'll pass, but it's going to be a while. I just I don't think it's going to be. This is the new normal in more ways than one. And so, um, okay, so that's not fun. Uh, other challenges, like how, how are oh. you staying balanced and sane then in this environment? Or are you? It's harder, that's for sure. I remember thinking two weekends ago, I don't want to have to work another weekend because mm-hmm. I really haven't had to work weekends in a long time. Um, so I told myself I was going to take this weekend off, which that kind of happened. I still did some computer work, um, and I was ready to go show houses on Saturday if I, you know, needed to, but sadly we didn't have any to go look at. And anyway, to solve that is to get a, a, a buyer's agent. I that, yep. Yeah. I, that I'm, was not, I'm I was looking. not suggesting you need to, I, <laughs> but you are looking. I am looking. Yeah. Okay. But I'm picky as you know. You should be. Yeah. It's a big deal to hand over referral clients to someone and and you're taking on a lot of work to train somebody up. And, right. But I, I do think, well, this is the other thing I say all the time, there's nothing more exciting to me than the idea of new agents having the opportunity to learn this business from seasoned pros. The, right. There's nothing better than an apprenticeship right. in this industry. So you got a lot to p- pass on. Okay, well, let's let's wrap up. I do want, I do want like some... Words of advice from a pro. How's that? From a, can I call you a pro? Sure. Can I call you a veteran? <laughs> yeah, just don't call me old. Those old people at, what was it, GMAC? Yeah. Uh, advice on getting started. You're getting in the business today. Uh, words of advice from you. So, I mean, I think it goes back to you have to have very broad shoulders and don't be afraid to dig in and just learn. Um, and like you said, if you can find an agent, I mean, I think you guys do an amazing job, obviously of training our new folks. I didn't have that. I didn't have a CRM. I didn't, you know, it's like Excel spreadsheet. I didn't, you know, even, I don't even think we even had outlook back then. So, um, I feel like they're very blessed to have the tools that they have today. Um, And if you just put the work in, although it's not fun all the time. And, you know, I mean, I remember telling Abby Robertson, she wasn't going to be, you know, making money for at least three years. I mean, that's what I had always been told. Mm. Um, and I think Abby's like average sales price was what, 350 or something. <laughs> and we're, and she's just like, I remember we're all looking at her like, really? Like, that's not even fair. <laughs> um, so I guess, you know, you guys are in a great place. The average sales price when I was first oh. started selling homes was what, 120000 Now today you go look at a $120,000 house and you're like, what? To tear down. Yeah. Yeah, that was my average as well, like uh, my first year at least. And then yeah. it got up to like 160, 170. But 
I mean, these prices are just crazy. Yeah, and now your heart breaks if you have a first-time home buyer that that's what they want to buy is mm-hmm. like 150, 180. You're like, well, we're not going to find you anything. And it sucks because you, you want people to get in and be able to buy houses and start putting their money to work for them. So, so I heard put the work in, and I heard if you can figure out um, mentorship or apprenticeship yeah. or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, and don't look at it as what's in it for me. You know, you have to be open to just learning and, you know, when people go on vacation, volunteer to cover their business. I mean, that, that for me, and then we had a a high end agent that she took every Tuesday off and I covered for her on Tuesdays. I'm like, yeah, I'll be that person. Uh, Not everyone's a fan, but Gary Vaynerchuk, I think says that best. I think it's in his jab, 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 right hook, jab, 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 hook hook book. Um, But he says it all over the place. Like, when you start a business, stop trying to figure out how to monetize everything and right. figure out how to just create value. Like my kid right now on his little clothing brand that he's building, he's figuring out how to um, just build a whole bunch of clothing and just give it out to his friends. Right. And he's selling a lot of clothing, but right. I'm trying to help him understand, like first, just just make the value for others. Yeah. And uh, I think that's what you're talking about. And I think it's mm-hmm. great advice. Um, advice, um, I'm thinking now about the seating of complexity and busting through and five to 10 to 15, right? Which is your story. Um, uh, Advice on building a business. Well, I think what turned the corner for me was definitely the Buffini coaching. Um, So you invested in a coach. I did. Okay. I invested in a coach and that was the year that right after I had sold 14 million. And I remember the first thing I told my coach was, I do not ever want to do that again. And she's like, why would you say that? And I'm like, because I didn't know my head from my arse. Like I had, I didn't, I would show up at the final walkthrough and I'm like, I don't remember what we negotiated in the home inspection. Mm. And I'm like, I'm failing at my job. Like, you know, it was embarrassing. Um, So I had zero desire to do that again. But again, I did it by myself. I didn't have, Mm. you know, I had systems, but I couldn't, I didn't have the time to implement my systems. Um, And so the coach for me has been because she just sat back in the fundamentals of the business, like writing your business plan every year, setting out your goals every year. And it's not just business goals. For me, I'm writing life goals, family Mm. goals, spiritual, whatever. Um, So that's been huge. You know, I've, done accountability groups through the years. That was awesome too. So I would recommend if you can do the accountability group with some people in your office, do it. And it's not just for fun, like find people you can trust. And well, other people are, are, are figuring this out as well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, as much as we can glean from each other, it seems like a smart investment. Right. And then spend money on yourself too. So the education, going to conventions, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, I know it's, expensive but you know there's no there's no greater investment than yourself boom final one on staying sane especially in this environment right now uh so for me i do pilates three times a week and you're the only i know two people in the whole world that do put pilates i won't name the other so that's a that you like that that's a good thing is that's on these little machines that slide back and forth right? well it's all kinds of things my instructor has the reformers she's got yeah she has so many contraptions it's crazy and i die every time huh yeah i had no idea pilates was your thing <laughs> yep so i started doing that i've always done some sort of training so I used to go for go to a 
personal trainer for, I don't know, 10 years. And I just got stuck like we all do. Like I'm not seeing Mm -hmm. the results, what's happening. And then someone's like, you should come try Pilates. So I did that a year ago in August and started out two days a week. Now I've worked myself up to three days a week. And like this week I can't go on Wednesday. So I'm already pestering her. Do you have another day I can come? Cause it's my outlet. And it's my one non-negotiable, as crazy as that sounds. I won't let clients schedule closings during those times. I um, moved my business lunch group because of it. So yeah, that's my that's my thing. Um, during COVID, I spent a lot of time at home doing yoga. I bought a mm-hmm. rower, and that was probably the best investment I've ever spent. Um, so just my personal health and well-being, and then you know not missing any of my kids' events. So. Um, there's a lot of crazy that happens in this business and you just write, I mean, I'm a list person, so I write out my list, um, you know, but I have Chandra too, that she knows my day and she, when she can, she steps in and tries to like get stuff right. Like if somebody sends a listing to us, she already has the information on it before I even have a chance to pull it up. So that's obviously yeah, a she's beautiful on thing. <clears throat> Sometimes I'm having a phone call with you and she's passing notes to you in the background right. to yeah. tell you what to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So um, keep breathing. I think I saw an email this week that I was, I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but it was something along those lines. Like, don't forget, you know, about you. You've got to, so whatever that non-negotiable is for you, you just plan around it. It's really good. Yeah. We sell houses as a, as a means to an end. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. if the end doesn't involve you being healthy, sane and happy, yep. then you're, you're missing the point for sure. So, yeah. and it will burn you out. It's a crazy business. <laughs> it will burn you out. You will hate people at some point in your career. Well, um, you're doing a good job. It's fun. Thank and you. Uh, excited for the, I don't know what the next chapter looks like, but hopefully you're doing this for a few more years and uh, I'm excited to see where it all goes. But thanks for taking the time. I now know what NW is. I feel That's like right. it's been a good day for me. There you go. Um, and I'm going to go learn more about Pilates. Nice. So. Not really. I'm sticking with yoga, I think. Chicken. Uh, There we go. Thank you for joining us today. For more episodes, resources, and show notes, head to morethanmorepodcast.com. 